Welcome to the Gateway Church Podcast. We're so glad you're here. We pray God speaks to you through this message and through His Word today. For more information about our church, please visit us at gatewaylife.com. Now let's tune in to this week's message. Grateful to um, be able to wrap up our resilience series in the relational pillar. So this will be the second week. Um, But last week, we talked about Christ-centered community. We talked about the fact that we need each other. We need God and we need each other. We have been created and crafted for community and for connection. It's how God wired us. It's how he operates. And when we do this and have a deep understanding and walk this out, we grow. It's how God created us to grow and to get strengthened. So I need you to lean in today. I need you to lean in. If you're joining us online, I need you to lean in because you're here not to to simply sort of evaluate or endure this message. We're here to experience it. The Holy Spirit wants to speak something to us specifically to our body. He wants to ignite something in us. And as we get to the end of the story that I'm going to share, it has profound, deep, transformative power for all of us. But remember, we talked about this last week, that In our relational pillar, that God created the body of believers to be a Holy Spirit-led laboratory where we learn to love. And all the one another's that the Bible lays out for us are all tools. They're all ways that we develop the muscles of loving one another by carrying each other's burdens, by admitting our faults to one another. Because God's desire is that we would grow these muscles in this house so that we would have the strength and the capacity to walk out those doors and be able to minister life to every person that is around us. And so much of the time we speak of our relationship in Christianity on such personal terms. And they're wonderful, but they're not complete. Right? I have a personal relationship with Jesus. I spend time in private Bible study, private prayer, private meditation. And we sing songs that emphasize this private relationship. Jesus, you're all I need. We need him. We need him. We experienced that depth of need. But he isn't all that we need. We need each other. He designed it that way. And we're here not to take notes. We're here to breathe it in and we're here to walk it out. We're here to have our eyes opened, our ears opened, our hearts opened, our homes opened, so that when we look around this room, we realize that God placed people around us with a supply to meet needs in our life through the Holy Spirit. Let me read this, this uh, passage in Romans 12, 4 through 5, from this translation. It's called the voice translation. It says, For in the same way that one body has so many different parts, each with different functions, we, to the many, are different parts that form one body in the anointed one. Each one of us is joined with one another, and we become together what we could not be alone. Isn't that great? God created us not only to be dependent upon him, but to be interdependent on each other. I need you, and you need me. You need me, and I need you. That's why Genesis 2.8 said it's not good. God said it's not good for man to be alone. Look at someone and say it's not good. Tell them. Say it's not good. It's not good. So, 
in the first week of each of our pillars, we really are talking about the mindset and the motivation. We're talking about the why of relationships. And then in the second week, we're talking about the, motive, or excuse me, the methods and the ways that we walk, walk this out. And so the title today is How to Do Life Together. How to Do Life Together, The Art and the Beauty of Relational Interdependence. Now, dependence, by definition, means to rely on somebody or someone outside of yourself for some need. But interdependence is the dependence of two or more people or things on each other. God created something sacred in interdependence so that you and I would vertically get our needs met through him and also horizontally through one another. And this interdependence, it requires surrender on our part. It requires us to let go of a self-centered, self-focused um, mentality. And it, it requires that we let go of life being all about us and recognize that we exist not just for ourselves, but for the benefit of others. Not just your needs, not just your desires and your wants and your ambitions, but God created us to actually sharpen and develop and, and deepen our strength by needing one another. And it's something that I, I, I just, I want to deposit in our hearts because I believe it is a large part of what God wants to do in the journey that he is taking us on specifically in the spheres of life that he's placed us in. Mark 2, this is the story. Mark 2, verses 1 through 12. Let me, let me read this. When Jesus re returned to Capernaum several days later, the news spread quickly that he was back home. Soon the house where he was staying was so packed with visitors that there was no more room even outside the door. While he was preaching God's word to them, four men arrived carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. They couldn't bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, so they dug a hole through the roof above his head. Then they lowered the man on his mat right down in front of Jesus. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, My child, your sins are forgiven. But some of the teachers of religious law who were sitting there thought to themselves, What is he saying? This is blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. Jesus knew immediately what they were thinking. So he asked them, Why do you question this in your hearts? Is it easier to say to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or stand up, pick up your mat, and walk, so I will prove to you that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins? Then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. And the man jumped up, grabbed his mat, and he walked out through the stunned onlookers. They were all amazed and praised God, exclaiming, we've never seen anything like this before. This is one of the most beautiful, incredible passages on Christ-centered community in the Bible. It's crazy. Now, I, I need to define that. Crazy has a couple of definitions, so just so we're clear. One is mentally deranged, especially as manifested in a wild or aggressive way. That's not what I mean. Second definition is extremely enthusiastic, and yeah, it's crazy that way. But, but I believe crazy, as we've heard from messages in this house, and as we see through heroes of faith throughout Scripture, crazy is being spiritually arranged, aligned, 
especially as manifested in a wild or aggressive way. This story is crazy. And it's crazy because of community. It's crazy because of Christ-centered community. So let's not treat this story as common or just something that's in an ancient book. This is a story that brings life, that breathes life. First of all, let's just for a second step back. Who are the characters identified in this story? Jesus, a paralyzed man, four men, there's a crowd of people, and there's teachers of religious law. And what are the things that we don't know in this story? Well, we don't know how this man became paralyzed. And I think that that is important because it allows us to imagine some things. And and we don't really know how long this man has been paralyzed. And we know there's other stories and accounts in Scripture that tell us that the man The pool of Bethesda was there for 38 years, or there was the woman with the issue of blood 12 years, or the woman who was bowed over 18 years. But we don't know that in this story. But here's what we do know historically in this story. We know that the Greeks regularly disregarded and disposed of newborn infants that had physical anomalies. The ancient world was harsh, much harsher than we are, when it comes to anybody who had a physical anomaly. In fact, Aristotle had said, remember he was before Christ, let there be a law that no deformed child shall be raised. In fact, there was a statue on the, uh, on the books that said, quickly kill a deformed child. Think about that. That's heavy. That's harsh. I mean, we understand in, in our world, in our time, when we come by somebody in a situation, we, we all have probably at one time or another looked away from somebody that was suffering in a situation because we, we didn't know how to respond. Maybe we were driving on the freeway and we see somebody holding up a sign and we're not quite sure how to respond, so the easiest thing for us to do is look away. But in this story, I want to give us the how to doing life together through four musts to doing life together. Here's the first point. We must assess our current relational interdependence on others who bring us to Jesus. It's a long point, I know. But we must assess our relational interdependence on people who will bring us to Jesus. There is a lot that this paralyzed man did not have going for him. He was living in a time where he was economically vulnerable. He was deprived of the dignity of earning a living. He was physically vulnerable. He he was just having to sit there and wait on the, the mercy of others. He was religiously alienated. He was marked by mayhem. I mean, even uh, in, in the Jewish tradition, that, that's why the question comes up uh, all throughout Scripture that, that somebody who is experiencing this type of suffering must have sinned. Someone sinned that caused this situation. But what does he have going for him? And what he has going for him, you and I need to start giving to ourselves. 
Mark 2, 3. Four men arrived carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. Now, I've heard this story, and I've heard people say that these men were his friends. I don't know if they were. There's no real indication. But I do know this, that they were Christ-centered brothers to this man. They were a spiritual family to this man. And how do I know? Because they brought him to Jesus. Four men. Remember what in John 5, the man at the pool of Bethesda said, when Jesus said, you know, do you want to get well? I have no one to help me. I have no one to help me. Now, why do I say these are Christ, a Christ-centered community of brothers? Well, Proverbs 17, 17 says, a friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for a time of adversity. These men were the original biblical band of brothers. Something that I think all of us deeply desire. And can I just say this? Like, networking is not a Christ-centered community, per se. Like, you know, your network is your net worth. If you go to a lot of networking events, that isn't necessarily Christ-centered community. People that will bring you to Jesus. You may have relationships and friendships, but Christ-centered community are the type of people who will carry you to Jesus. Hebrews 13.1 says, Keep on loving each other as brothers and sisters. 1 Peter 3.8, Finally, all of you be of one mind, having compassion for one another. Love as brothers. What do brothers do? They're born for times of adversity. Be tenderhearted. Be courteous. This guy had a Christ-centered community in his life. And without it, he never makes it to Jesus. Without it, he never gets forgiven. Without it, he doesn't get healed. And we don't know how he got paralyzed. You know, because the story doesn't give us specifics, we don't know the time of when he was paralyzed. Maybe, maybe the reason that Jesus forgave his sins is because he got into a fight and his neck got broken in that fight and there was bitterness and resentment in his heart. I don't know. I don't know because I don't have those details. And I think sometimes when there aren't details, it leaves us to begin to think and put ourselves in the story and the situation to see what is happening. But a question for you, this year, this year in 2021, who were you relationally interdependent upon? Write them down. Just write them down. Who were you relationally interdependent upon? Who carried you to Jesus? I think a, a great metaphor for understanding relationships and really uh, life is boxing, right? In boxing, uh, two individuals go toe-to-toe, and they're trying to knock each other to the ground. But then after a short duration of time, they are asked to return to the corner of the ring where there is a corner man, a corner woman, a corner person who is there to begin to refresh them, 
and to coach them, to bring insight to their blind spots, to remind them of the strategy that they're working towards. God desires for us to do life together in understanding that we need to be interdependent upon each other because we need the wisdom and the insight and the refreshing that comes when we are around one another. Who's in your corner? Who is in your corner? And I'll tell you, a few people that I have identified through the life of David that I think we all need in our corner. We all need a Samuel in our corner. We all need a person who bestows blessing. We need somebody at a stage and age of life that will speak blessing upon us. I need a Samuel in my corner. I need a Jonathan, a faithful friend, a faithful companion who will walk with with me through difficult times. I need a Nathan. I need a loyal wounder who will not come at me but come to me. I need that. I need the body of Christ because I can only see myself this far. But when I invite other people in, I grow stronger. I get better. I receive course correction so that I can be everything that God created me to be. And deep relationships... They require intentionality. They're not automatic. They're built. They're shaped because we turn to one another and we remind ourselves consistently to practice the presence of people. I need you. You need me. I need you. You need me. Sitting around us are gifts. They really are. They're gifts. They're packages waiting to be opened. As you're praying and beseeching heaven for answers and insight, I believe God has put and wrapped packages all around you. But it requires that you take the step of boldness and bravery to be relationally interdependent on followers of Jesus. So I'm just going to encourage you in 2022, put a priority on the spiritual family of God like you never have before. Point number two, we must invite people into our story. Mark 2, 3, a paralyzed man on a mat. I mean, it's it's a pretty vulnerable thing to have four people carry you on a mat, don't you think? That's a pretty vulnerable thing to do. I mean, what is a mat? To me, a mat represents our our story. A mat represents our our story of brokenness and imperfection. It's that which we're least proud of, the thing that we're most likely to hide. And in this story, the paralyzed man, he he really couldn't hide his situation. But, oh, we're good at hiding our situations, aren't we? We're good at managing our mat. And the truth of the matter is, is we all have a mat. We're human. We all have a story. We all have circumstances in our life, things that have impacted us, things that we have done, things that have been done to us. It's a story. And, And it's a beautiful part of each and every one of us. I like what Abraham Lincoln said. His quote is this, I don't I do not like this man, so I must get to know him better. Does anybody bother you? Anybody frustrate you? Anybody anger you? 
it's a good indication that you might need to hear their story. Because for so long, we, we have tried to look at people, and when we don't like them, we want to correct their errors. I said this last week, rather than understand that there's a weakness. And that weakness came from an impact that has happened in their life. And Ephesians 4.16 says that every joint has a supply. We need each other to heal. We need each other to experience acceptance. We need each other to listen, to hear our story, to say, I'm so sorry that happened to you. And that takes time. You can't do that in a hurry. And this is the beauty, though. Your story and my story is not the end of the story. When, when we invite others in and when we uh, embed and found our lives on the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, the author, author, and finisher of our story steps in. The way he is wanting to write new chapters in your life is through people that are surrounding you. And I know it takes bravery. I know it takes courage. It is not easy to tell your story to people. It is hard. It, it, it creates a lot of emotion that sometimes we'd wish to, to push down. But can I tell you this that I know is true? Beach balls don't stay underwater. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. They will come up. And some of you are experiencing beach balls shooting up. And, and, and they're coming and you're thinking to yourself, man, I have been great altogether most of my life. Why now? Because beach balls always pop up. They do. And, and while uh, we are embarrassed, this man allowed four men to carry him on his mat. In his physical, economical, spiritual vulnerability, there is something for you and I to see about Christ-centered community in that. And it is absolutely beautiful. And at every encounter we make with people, there are five decisions. Even tonight, as you're surrounding people, hey, how are you? I'm doing great. Beach ball is way down. <laughs> Everything's awesome. Everything is awesome. Here, here's the decisions. Will, will I withhold from you or will I share with you? Will I exclude you? Will I embrace you to receive the supply that you have? Will I judge you or will I accept you? Will I try to beat you up or will I build you up? Will I ignore you or will I pay attention, sacrifice, it costs? See, we, we have mats that we manage, right? Maybe it's, it's out-of-control tempers or inability to, to trust, sexual abuse, terrible secrets of something awful that we've done or are doing, this, this gnawing sense of fear and failure and inadequacy and loneliness. What, what is your mat? How much energy do you expend managing your mat? But this... This guy, this guy allowed four brothers to carry him. I just, I just think that's incredible. And in all great relationships, you'll find these secrets, authenticity, 
the secret of, of being yourself, and that takes practice. Those one another's help us to practice vulnerability, the secret of sharing yourself. You have to build that muscle because the fear of exposure is there. If I, if I tell this person my story, what will they think of me? But apparently this story is in Scripture so that we would develop vulnerability. Credibility, the secret of getting people to trust you, right? Trust is something you earn, not something just delivered and handed over, right? We have to develop people that are safe, people that we can share things with, and combat compatibility, the secret of getting along in harmony. You know, there's all these statistics. It takes 50 hours to go from acquaintance to a relationship, 200 hours to get to a close relationship. I don't know. But I do know it takes time. And I do know that the curse of our generation, which I said last week, is pace of life. Because you can't weep with somebody in a hurry. You can't rejoice with somebody in a hurry. You can't listen to somebody in a hurry. And I just think this story is emphasizing to us, how do we do life together? Slow down. Prioritize people. Practice the presence of people, first and foremost, with those in, in, in the community of the body of believers surrounding you. It doesn't end there, but it certainly starts because you sharpen your muscles in this place. And we don't want you to just come here. We want you to be here. We don't want you to come to this church solely for your benefit, but also for the benefit of others. How do you do that? You tell your story. And we get better. We get healed. We feel support. We feel safe. Because when pain is shared, pain is divided. And when joy is shared, joy is multiplied. So we have to invite others in to our story. Point number three, we must allow ourselves to be carried by others from time to time. We have to let people carry us. Wes, are you here? Will you come up here for just a second? This is, just jump up here on stage. I just want you, I just want to tell you how awkward this is, by the way, all right? This is just awkward. Wes has been a good friend of mine for a long time, but I just, I just need you to see this. Oh, wow, he's, this is a good lesson here. He's heavy. Wes, how, how awkward, how awkward is this? Just, anybody feeling a little bit awkward? You know, I mean, if... Four men carried him around. I'm so sorry, Wes. All right, thank you. Give Wes a hand there, yeah. Uh, it's awkward. It's, it's awkward, and, and, it, and it feels a little bit just strange for, for us to be carried by someone else. And I just said from time to time, okay? Not, not all the time. But Galatians 6, 2, it says, carry each other's burdens. And in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. Like we, we have to. In order to grow and to mature and to heal and to develop, we have to let some people carry us. And you may be saying, yes, carry me. No. No, don't, don't get into a place that the enemy would want you to be. Like, yes, I'm just waiting for the whole world to carry me. No. You need us and we need you. There is, there is a part of that that we have to understand, but, but we do have to allow people to, to carry us. I remember several years ago, there was two, two little girls in our lobby that were both just crying hysterically. And I, you know, went up to try to be sweet. Their names were Emma and Cleo. And I'm like, 
what is going on here? You know, and I'm like, Emma, what happened? And she's like, I spilled lemonade on my dress. I spilled lemonade on my dress. And I'm like, it's, it's okay, all right. Uh, Cleo, what, what, what's going on with you? She's like, I'm okay. I'm just here helping her cry. And I was like, <laughs> out of the mouths of babes. Who, who doesn't want that? Emma and Cleo. We need, yes, we need safe people. We need people that we can admit our weaknesses to, that don't act like they have it all together, that understand humanity. We need people to listen to our stories, sit with us, and not just uh, functionally give us advice and help, although we need those things, but relationally. They're there to be able to hear that story and, and tell us, like, that, that shouldn't have happened. And over the last several weeks, we've had a lot of those conversations with some very beautiful people. Lots and lots of stories. Lots and lots of stories. And you realize that the enemy has really tried to, to hurt people. But we need to be people of grace. We need to be people um, that take the opportunity when people get hurt to, to, to cover them, to provide a covering to them, and to sit with them, and to be able to give them the nutrients that they need to be able to develop you know, uh, I think a few years ago, uh, we, we did this activity with, with uh, a group of our men at one of our men's nights. And uh, we had some railroad beams, and we had two, two guys on each of the railroad beams, and they were trying to compete with one another to hold it up as long as they could. And, you know, after a couple hundred pounds and after, you know, 30, 40 seconds, you know, they started getting weak. And then we started calling up other men to come under. Because the point of that illustration was the reality is we're, we're all acting like we can hold this weight, responsibility over our head. And, and it doesn't take very many seconds to realize it's going to crush us. But we live like this often, especially emotionally, relationally. We, we got it. We got it. Whether it's abuse or just the hurt. Um, all the things that have happened to us, the, the weight of bad decisions that we've made. And, and pastoring for over 24 years, I have heard so many stories, and I can tell you that as God has matured and developed my heart, I can just tell you there, there isn't probably any story that I have not heard. And, and they can be the first definition of crazy, by the way. But you just start to realize that people's like stories are really important to being able to offer to them life and water. We are here to be able to do that. And, and I, just, I just want you to think about it. Who carried you this year? Why? Why not? Who carried you this year? Here's point number four. We must raise our awareness of God's power and how we partner to see it manifest on the earth. These four men, they carried him on a mat to Jesus, and they crashed through the roof. I mean, I wonder if Jesus, because it, you know, it's, it's not clear. Theologians discuss whether or not this was actually Jesus' house or it was someone else's house, but he did live in Capernaum. I mean, he moved there, so, you know, it's possible. And, and some... You know, I was reading that some were like, maybe his sins were forgiven because they, they, they broke all the roof tiles. And they're like, okay, that's a problem. Uh, your sins are forgiven. I'm not sure. Okay. But I do know this. They crashed through the roof. 
Miracle power is not a parlor trick. It's a reality. Mark 16, 17, and 18, these signs will accompany those who believe. They will place their hands on sick people, and they will get well. That's what the text says. They will. Everyone say they will. So I I don't know this year how many roofs you crash through. All I know is we need to crash through some more roofs if we want to see God's miracle power manifest. Now here's, here's what I'll say. How many people did you place your hands on and pray for this year who were sick and diseased? Now I don't know if you've ever heard this. You miss 100% of the shots you don't take. Make sense? Well, you say, you know what? I didn't pray for anybody, but I'm just believing God to show up and just heal people. Well, can I just tell you, like, that's, that's not... That's not the, script, the strategy that, that I see. God said, when two or more are gathered in my name, there I am with them. Matthew 14, 14 uh, says that when Jesus saw the multitudes, he saw them. He was moved with compassion and he healed them. Like, I really, truly believe this because I've, I've actually experienced it in my own life. I, I read the stories of, of the miraculous things, and I know many of you are probably praying and asking God to just, just break out. And, and I really believe God has is, is given us a story like this to understand when you'll see people and you'll allow your heart to be moved with compassion and you'll reach out your hands to pray for them, your chances of seeing the miraculous go way up. Compassion, to have an awareness of suffering with the desire to alleviate it. That's what it means. There are so many accounts of healing in the New Testament. And I believe this because I've experienced it in my life. And I, I have had the, the privilege and the honor to see a multitude of miracles in my life. None of it was like super sensational. All of it was super natural. Super natural. I saw the, the person. My heart stirred with compassion. I didn't pray because it was the denominational thing to do. I felt a sense of God's divine love for this person, and I just laid my hands on them and prayed for them. And I've heard it said, and I believe this is true, you can only have Jesus's ministry, Christ's ministry, to the degree you have his compassion. Here's the good news. Romans 5.5 5 says that the love of God has been shed abroad in your hearts by the Holy Spirit. It's in there. But you have to allow your eyes to see people that are surrounding you. And you know what a great place to practice this is? In Christ-centered community. Sharpen your muscles by each and every week turning to the people that are surrounding you and say, what do you believe in God for? Is there anything that I can pray for you for? John 13, 35, your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. It's simple. It's not difficult. A a Christ-centered community, a biblical band of brothers, brings people to Jesus and begins to practice the things that God has said. And what happens is we start to increase our compassion for each other. We start to grow. We start to heal. And God starts to heal bodies, minds, 
hearts, families, marriages. It really is a simple plan. Here's my, my desire for us. My desire for us is that we emphasize going into 2022 how sacred and beautiful and holy community is. So we need to make space. So again, I'm, I'm going to encourage you. You can go to dolifetogether.com and say, I'm interested. Brad, I'm interested. I'm a level two. It's fine. We just want to connect with you. Men, mensnight.com. You need a biblical band of brothers. No, I got homies. Do they bring you to Jesus? I didn't say, do they assault you with scripture? I said, do they bring you to Jesus? We have some men in this church that will bring you to Jesus. We have some men whose mats are messy. We got some people in this room. Their mats are messy, and God has restored. And they have let others carry them to the foot of the cross, and they have been healed, and you need to hear their story. That's why I say, look around you, there's gifts, there's gifts. If you don't know these people in this room, my God, tonight, right here in this room, <laughs> there are some incredible, crazy stories of God's redemption and restoration and healing of a lot of brokenness, but don't miss it. Don't miss the people who are surrounding you. Don't miss it. I said it last week, Acts 2, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, they had fellowship, they shared meals, and they prayed for one another. That is so simple. Increase that this year. As you're setting your goals, increase that. Let God show up in supernatural ways through the people that he has established because this is how God's miracle power busts out. Busts out when we stand up, see each other, and we pray. So I'm going to ask you to do that right now. Just stand to your feet. I know you're a little nervous every time you have to stand to your feet. This is what I want to do to activate you. I want you to turn around. Introduce yourself to somebody right now. And I want you to just ask them a question. Is there anything that I can pray for you? Right now, we're going to pray. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives in each and every one of you. And your prayer can be this simple if you get intimidated. All you're going to say is, in Jesus' name, be made whole. If there's sickness in their body, in Jesus' name, be made whole. While we're doing this, I am going to invite our altar ministry team to come down to the front. Okay, this isn't connection time. This is prayer time. Is there anything that I can pray for you? In Jesus' name, be made whole. It isn't in our multitude of words. It isn't in our, it's not in us, it's in him. The Holy Spirit has shed abroad in your hearts the love of God. It, it's in you. Tap into it. Hear what it is that's taking place in the life of that human being who is beautiful in God's sight, who bears the image of God. See them. Don't miss them. Don't do something religiously. Do it because this is your brother. This is your sister. Speak life. Blind eyes open. Healing. Wholeness. And as you're doing that, I am 
simply going to close our service by speaking over you. If, if you need prayer, our altar ministry team will be here for anything, any situation. I'm going to respond and receive prayer. But if you need prayer, come and get it. And as you're praying, I'm going to pray over you. And that's how we're going to dismiss. Father, thank you for your life and your power that flows through each and every person in here. God, thank you that your love is a force that transforms bodies, heals hearts, God. Thank you in this room right now that you're present. Your presence is tangible, Lord. Have your way. Bring wholeness to hearts. Bring wholeness to bodies. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us today. For more information about Gateway Church, please visit us at gatewaylife.com. Have a great week.